I really appreciate those people that have the courage to, to, to really ask the questions, okay, what do we want this place to be, right, after the succession event occurs? And if we want it to be an operating farm or ranch that's supporting a family, then, then what kind of decisions do we need to make in, in our time to, to help make that happen? Welcome to Choosing to Farm, a podcast for first and returning generation livestock farmers and ranchers to share their stories, find connection, and provide insight into the life of farmers who didn't take the traditional path. I'm your host, Jen Colby. folks, this is Jen. Um, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. I wanted to start out today with um, a thank you to my Patreon supporters and Anchor supporters. They have been amazing with this um, with this whole project just getting started. Uh, I want to give a few shout outs to uh, Melissa Malandrinos and Nacho Villa, uh, Dan Malik, Carol Hunter, Margaret Chamas, and Willie Gibson. Um, if you would like to support the podcast and my work to energize farmers creating success in their lives, uh, there are a variety of levels to fit everyone, whether you would like to be a general supporter, um, right up to someone who works with me directly on a monthly basis, uh, and that's personalized. So lots of options. Um, I hope that you will join us at uh, patreon.com choose to farm. So here's a, like a, here's a real moment. Um, have you guys ever had a project or a deadline or a thing that you've been trying and trying and trying to do? And it seems like it's taken forever. Who am I kidding? Of course you have. You have, <laughs> you're farmers and ranchers. You live this like every day, the to-do list that never, ever ends. So it's not an excuse, but, um, I got COVID at the beginning of the month and you can probably hear it. You can certainly hear it in the interview you're about to hear, uh, which I recorded at the beginning of May. Um, and then I recovered. I felt like I was behind. I ran to catch up. Uh, and then I fell to uh, cold this week. <laughs> so rather than letting the perfect be the enemy of the good and waiting until my voice totally works, I wanted to get this episode out. So I hoped it would be out the first week of the month. Instead, it's it's landing nearly at the end. But so so what's the lesson? This is what I have been reflecting on. Stuff happens. Stuff happens in life. Stuff happens on a farm. We have to be kind to ourselves. Stressing ourselves out that we didn't get a thing done really doesn't usually help that thing get done. It actually sometimes gets in our way of um, healing or resting or doing something else that we need to do. So the truth is, all the work gets done eventually. It just may not always get done when we plan for it to. So it was a good reminder to me, and I just want to, like, put that out there that whatever thing that you haven't gotten done on the timeline you'd like, you should please forgive yourself. I forgive you. I hope that uh, you get those things done eventually. <laughs> uh, so my, my podcast guest this week is, um, 
is Dallas Mount, who is the CEO of uh, Ranch Management Consultants. And he's a personal friend because um, I've been through the Ranching for Profit School uh, a few times and the EL program. And I've been really wanting to have him on because I think he's such a he's such a great combination of hope and practicality and realism and what works and what doesn't. And he sees this wide variety of stories, like incredible success stories, people who've turned their farms and ranches around. And he's also seen some really heartbreaking situations. And there's so many lessons to be learned in that. And he just has this terrific way of cutting across issues and perceptions and, and to pull out these things that are, are just wonderful lessons for us to all to learn from. So I hope that you enjoy um, Dallas Mount. So I'll let him take it away. I'm Dallas Mount. I am currently the owner and CEO of Ranch Management Consultants. Uh, we are a uh, ranch management consultants is kind of a lousy name for our company because we don't do a lot of consulting. Uh, we we teach um, a school called the Ranching for Profit School. It's a seven day business management school for people in agriculture. And we also facilitate a program called Executive Link. Uh, where we uh, partner ranchers, farmers onto boards of directors for each other, and they provide uh, a peer coaching. So th- those are the two things we do. Cool. Thank you. And did you, um, did you actually grow up on a ranch? I, n- I don't know. I did I've not. ever known I this. Not, I've never no. known this. I'm a town kid. Um, I, I grew up mostly in Colorado Springs. Uh, my, my dad was a Methodist pastor and part of being a Methodist pastor is you move around quite a bit. The, the church assigns you to, to different things. So, so we lived in the Southeast, both, both my folks are from the Southeast. We lived in Louisiana. Uh, and then when I was about five years old, we moved to Colorado Springs and I lived there till I was 17. Uh, I finished high school in Utah. Uh, we moved to, uh, Park City, Utah, which is a ski town, obviously. Right. And, um, I ha- didn't really find a peer group in Park City. Right. I, the kids that were there, I just didn't feel like I was one of them. So I went down the valley to, at the time that the town was Heber, uh, was an ag town. Uh, it's not an ag town anymore. It's kind of an outgrowth of Park City now, unfortunately. Um, and that's where I found my buddies and they were into high school rodeo. They were into all this stuff. So, so I got, into cattle and horses and rodeo and all that stuff with them and uh, and then I started working on ranches and that's where I developed my passion for agriculture uh, went to did, did a couple degrees at Colorado State University in animal science but most of my education happened through places that allowed a young naive kid that was ready to break stuff come work for them and uh, and and that's where I really developed the passion for agriculture. That's hysterical. So when I when I asked you to come on, I was thinking um, about what you're doing now and how you know you speak to the audience. I did not actually realize that you are potentially the actual demographic primary for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I guess I kind of am, right? Yeah, you totally are. You totally are. Like we are crazy people who get we attracted are. to this <laughs> to this life. Oh my gosh. So so so. What happened between animal science degrees and doing work and then sort of where you're, where you are, are at now, because it's been a little water under the bridge there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I went from a, a master's degree to a PhD program at UW 
and I did not enjoy it. I was in a, when I was at UW, I enjoyed my master's degree at CSU. I loved that. Uh, when I went transferred to that PhD program at UW, I was in a lab doing research that no one would ever care about. Um, and, and I'm like, you know, what am I, what am I doing here? And, and I didn't want to work for a university for the rest of my life. So um, I took the opportunity to uh, jump out of that PhD program and, um, we, my wife and I were living in Wheatland, Wyoming at the time. Uh, I was commuting to Laramie. She was uh, working for Farm Service Agency here in Wheatland. So um, I was tired of doing the commute too. Um, so I took the opportunity to take a position with University of Wyoming Extension here in, in Wheatland. Uh, so it was based in the local office. And, and at that time, they were going through a reorganization. And I became essentially a livestock extension person for a five-county area. And, and I loved it. I spent uh, 17 years doing that. And I loved that job. It was so much fun. We, I got to work with some amazing people. And it was a very, um, I had a lot of autonomy. They, it, it extension, at least at the one I was working with, they essentially say, all right, there, there's your desk, there's your phone. Uh, we're going to come back in a couple of years and tell us something cool that you've done. Right. You know, that that was kind of the way it was. Right. At least that's the way I felt it. And, you know, as a young person, you kind of feel lost in that. Right. Because what, what the heck do I do? Um, but they, that allowed me the freedom and autonomy to develop a, a, a program. So fast forward about five or six years after doing that, I was frustrated that it felt like an extension. We were doing a lot of these one off programs. You know what I, what I would call a y'all come meeting. Right. Hey, we're, we're having we're having dinner. Y'all come you know, right. And it, it didn't really feel like we were giving people much value for, for what, what we were doing. It was like, okay, here's a two hour talk on grazing. Here's a hour talk on nutrition. Right. And, and we were giving people just enough information to be dangerous. Right. So a colleague and I, Aaron Berger uh, is the gentleman's name. Uh, he and I, he was in Nebraska. He and I got together and said, what would it look like if we put together a a systems thinking course, right? A, a more in-depth thing where, where we could get a group of folks and walk them through um, a whole thought process around decision-making and ranching. So we developed a school we called the High Plains Ranch Practicum School. And we taught that for, I think we did like 12 sessions of that together. It was an eight-day school. We would, we would get together in June and, and run it through January and kind of get people two days a month in, in those time periods. Um, and, and so that's what we started doing. And, and the first few we did were not very great, right? It was a, it became a parade of extension specialists with their PowerPoints, which, which is not what we were after, right? We, we wanted a, a in-depth educational program where people actually, uh, you know, problem solved together and ran economics on things. So after a few years, we got it to where we, we were really happy with it. And, um, and it, that was a really a joy to do. Aaron is a, is a wonderful person, very thoughtful. And uh, through the coaching of people like Harlan Hughes, um, we were able to develop a, a, a school that had a good economics base to it, um, you know, good rangeland science stuff. Um, so, so that's, that's what I did in extension was, was that program. And then while I was doing that, I was kind of looking over the fence at ranching for profit, right? Because they were kind of like uh, the, the old timers on the block of this, 
rancher education stuff, right? And and they seem to have a big following. And I'm like, and, and I would watch Dave's writings and I'm like, man, he's really good. And and I thought someday I'm going to go to that. I can't afford to go to it, right? It was my thinking, yeah. I didn't have enough continuing ed budget and I, I didn't feel like I should pay for it myself, right? Well, I should have, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> so I get that. So, so I finally scratched up enough money to, to get myself there. When, when I went to Ranching for Profit, it felt like, they had 20 years ago, they developed what I was trying to build today and, and that they'd spent the last 20 years refining it and working on the education delivery part and all that. So I was, I was blown away when I went to Ranch for Profit. I loved it. In fact, I went up at like day two, I went up at a break to Dave and I'm like, I want to come teach for you. Right. And, and he doesn't remember saying this, but he kind of told me, get away from me, you crazy person. Right. <laughs> that was the way, I, that was the way I read it. Um, uh, a year or so later, I hired Dave to come do some work in Wyoming. I got to travel around with him. We got to know each other. And he's like, how about you come teach for me? All right. And I'm like, I'd asked you, you know, and then he didn't remember. So at that time, I was, I was honored to do that. And we started uh, working together. Um, I started teaching ranching for profit, kind of moonlighting on the side of my extension job and uh, did that for about, oh, I don't know, four years maybe. And then he'd, he'd said, you know, I don't want to own this forever. Would you want to buy it from me? And I said, yes. I thought about it for all of five seconds, right? And um, so anyway, that it took us about three years to put the deal together. Uh, and now I've been, uh, I think we're entering our fourth season of, of school delivery um, with me now owning and running Ranching for Profit. It's been an, uh, an amazing journey. That I feel like in, in one year of Ranching for Profit, uh, we have more impact than I did in a whole career of extension, right? Because because you're getting to work with people that are really interested in making high level change that are that are excited about leading their businesses. So I, I think as much of it is about the clients that come to us, is it about what we actually do, right? Um, so so anyway, that that's my story. I and then it, alongside of that. Dixie, my wife and I have developed a grazing business. Uh, we we own some land here in Wheatland. We lease uh, about as much as we own in Wheatland. And then we lease another ranch uh, about 40 miles west of us uh, up in the mountains, uh, west of Wheatland that, that we manage as well. So we've got enough uh, things going on with our summertime grazing business. I hire uh, uh, summertime help to come in and run that. And, uh, you know, it lets me keep my finger in the game uh, and stay connected with reality. So... I love that you also graze. And so, <laughs> so what things have you taken away that you advise other people that you actually do in your grazing? Yeah, um, yeah that's a, I, I often think about that, right? You know, as I'm doing these things at home, I'm like, okay, well, we teach people to do this and I'm not doing it, right? Or something like that. Um, you know, we, I, I apply most, most everything that we taught, that we teach at the school, um, on our, on the property that we lease, that's 40 miles away. It's, uh, it's about 5,000 acres. It's, um, it's very rough. It's, it takes us an hour to get there. Um, we don't have a very well-developed grazing system up there yet. Um, I'm in the process of, of working towards that, uh, to where we can do some meaningful rotation up there. Uh, but as of now, we're, we're, it's this summer, it's going to be a four pasture rest rotation system. So essentially one, one move through there, 
during the growing season and, and then it'll have the rest of the time to recover. But I'd, I'd like to intensify that some. At home at Wheatland, we're grazing on productive um, sub-irrigated ground and, and we're doing daily moves, sometimes twice a day moves down there. And that's that's having amazing results. Um, from an economic standpoint, my, my grazing system is profitable. Um, you know, uh, every year I have to pay taxes and that's a good problem to have on that, right? You know, so. Um, that's a good problem to have. Yeah, so, so we, we apply most of the things that, that we teach. Um, yeah, so, my, so I'm looking for ways to apply it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I, do, I do ask people, I feel like this is always a good thing to bring up too, is, is just sort of checking in. There's the grazing management side of it, but then how are you managing the people side of that and, and like in your life? Like we do talk about that sometimes too. Like how are you managing... What do you do in your grazing system or your animal management system that helps you have a life? Yeah. That, so last year was our first year we hired uh, full-time summer help for the grazing program. And, and I really appreciated making that jump. It was scary to, to think about uh, building in wages for somebody for the summer out of that. Right. Cause I, I had been doing it all myself. Uh, but I was, I was sacrificing the leadership of my business here, which which needs to be next to my role as a as a father and a, as a husband, that needs to be my first priority, right? Um, because we've got a we've got an amazing staff here, and if I'm neglecting the leadership of my business here, then then they're not going to work want to work here anymore, right? So so I need to make sure I'm I'm doing a good job of that. Um, so yeah, we we added that in with our grazing program, and and also the a nice unique benefit is it's been able to provide me an opportunity, uh, let me provide an opportunity for a young person to come and have a meaningful um, leadership experience. They they largely take control of that ranch up in the mountains. They they we put a fifth wheel camper up there. They live in that for the summer. Uh, they make all the grazing decisions up there uh you know they're in charge of animal health they're in charge of pretty you know when we when we ship out of there and do the gather they call the shops for the gather you know they they send people where they're going to go and how that's going to work so that that's a lot of fun to let let somebody who's last year they were 19 this year i think he's 20 the, the kid that's coming to do that so um it's fun to be able to provide that leadership experience for a young person so how'd you how'd you find him I, I advertise on Facebook <laughs> and we advertise through our ranching for profit channels. And then uh, I just put a personal deal on Facebook. I wrote up a position description with included some pictures. I think the pictures are what are what attract people, right? Is just kind of let them know the environment they'll be working in and the responsibilities that they'll have. And I think we got um, eight resumes this year that we were able to sort through. And uh, first person I talked to took it. So that's amazing. I love that. Yeah. I, I feel like I get that question all the time too, is where are the good people? Can I find the good right, people? Right, right. <laughs> we get that all the time too. Yeah. There, there's just no one wants to work anymore. You can't find good help anymore. And then you think, well, how hard is it to find a good boss? And how hard is it to find a good place to work where you actually get to, you know, be appreciated, get to do some things on your own and, you know, don't have some a-hole leaning over your shoulder, barking orders at you all day. Right. So. This is the thing that Chris and I talk about a, a bunch is um, uh, the how important it is, or what it what a how you can eventually become a good leader or a good boss if you've had uh, if you've been an employee who's had a whole series of terrible ones. 
yeah. <laughs> like, well, I won't do that. I won't do that. I won't do that. And so it actually, it's funny because even if you ask yourself, like, how am I going to be a good leader? Like, well, maybe you haven't had a lot of experience as that good leader, but boy, you know what it's not, or you've had, yeah. you know, you know what you'd like as an employee. And that's, that's how actually who I'm striving to be these days is trying to be that person that I wish I'd had. <laughs> right. Yeah, I totally hear you. I, I, fortunately, I had the, the wonderful pleasure of working under some amazing leaders. And at the time, I didn't realize some of the things they were doing, right? Some of those things you think, that's really annoying. I wish you'd just make a decision on this, right? And then now looking back at it, I thought they were allowing us to wrestle with that decision and us to come up with our suggestions. They knew what the, what the right, you know, what, what at least what they would have done. But thankfully, they didn't just say, here's what we're going to do, get on board, right? Is they said, well, what do you think? And they let us wrestle with that. So it's, it's nice to look back over time and recognize that. That is good. That is excellent. It is sort of nice to, to have the, ex being able to pick and choose from the experiences that we've had, isn't it? Like the, yeah. have it, having a life, like we can, yeah. we can pick and choose that stuff. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew we can actually pick and choose this stuff. <laughs> so this feels like maybe a big question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, how do you define farmer ranch success? I don't necessarily mean economics, but maybe I do. How would you define that? How do I define farm or ranch success? Yeah. I, I don't know that it's my job to define that. I, I look to, who, so if I've got a client and, and they're coming to the school or they, you know, we're, we're engaged in some way, it's, it's my job to help them identify that for them and then to help them create that for, for them rather than to put my own definition on it, right? Um, I, I'm obviously very, probably economics is the thing I get most excited about. That's the area that I've worked in the most. The, the human side of it, as I've grown, I've come to appreciate that as a larger piece of it. Uh, the ecology side um, came right behind the economics for me as I started getting really excited about the ecology side. But I can't, I got to be careful about going in with my definitions of success and putting those on somebody, right? So if, if I'm working with a client, I might say, well, well, let's get focused on your grazing system. So we build soil health. So we, you know, build the capacity for this. Uh, that might not align that well with their goals and what they want the place to be, right? So I have to kind of check that in and just say, what? Well, let me understand what, what you want this place to be. Um, ec economics, um, that's something I get real excited about. You know, we, we've got a, more and more of these farms and ranches are now being owned. And I think this is a trend that's going to continue are, are being owned by off-farm owners. And, and sometimes they're operated by off-farm owners. And sometimes the economic motivations are just not, they're, they're not ranching, farming and ranching for economic reasons, right? Uh, but at the same time, the people that are running these farms and ranches for them, it, that's kind of their scorecard, right? And I, I had the opportunity a few weeks ago to go work at a, at a large complex um, ranching business. And, and they don't need, the owners of this don't need it to be profitable, right? They're, they're tired of it losing money is kind of what, what they're thinking, right? But their employees, it was very interesting. One of their employees said, because um, we were talking about why do we want to make it, do we want to make it profitable? And why do we want to make it profitable? And this, this employee said, you know, this is our scorecard at the end of the year. This, this tells us what our win-loss record is. 
And if I, if, if we go through every year chalking up losses and never get a win, I have a really hard time thinking this is a place I want to be working for a long period of time. Right. So there, I, I think we need to look at those things of, uh, with a bit longer trajectory. And even if ownership says, well, we're happy to operate at a loss every year, right? Your, your employees are going to get sick of that because what you're, when you start look, examining what you're doing with your life, really you're essentially managing somebody's hobby at that point, right? And to me, that's, that's a hard thing to stay motivated around is it's, it's my job to blow your money in an irresponsible way so that when you come out here, you can, you know, do whatever you want to do, right? That, if, if that's what you think your life existence is, I, you're going to have a hard time attracting and retaining quality help, right? And, and then the second part of that is at some point, your heirs will get tired of it, okay? So it, it makes the succession piece of this. No, no matter how rich you are, at some point, your heirs are going to be tired of blowing their wealth on what is your hobby, right? So I, I think if we want these things to be long lasting, um, at some point there needs to be some economic realities there. Uh, so I, I've kind of gone off track with the, with the question a little bit, but I, I think those, those are the pieces of it, right? The, the ecology piece of it, the, the economic piece and then the human piece of it. Um, things are not, if people are not be enjoying what they're doing, if things are too much work, right? If we're having to sacrifice uh, the other pieces of our life that are important to us, at, at some point they will cease to exist. So it, it's balancing those things. But I think from my standpoint, it's not me prescribing what those goals should be. It's me understanding what, what the client I'm working with, what their goals are. And maybe they don't even know. So then part of my job is, is pulling that out of them, right? Asking those right questions to say, what do you want this place to be? Wow, I totally get that. Um... I once worked with a dairy farm and we were doing a holistic management um, project and, and it really included having conversations with these farmers that we were working with over like a two to three year period on their, it was essentially on their grazing system, but it was, um, we really started with their goals and, and that was absolutely a situation where they really wanted to make sure that they covered their costs but for years, you know, the couple that that inherited the farm from her mom had um, put their own money. They both worked off farm. They put their own money into the farm. They'd been investing in it. They'd been improving it. All of the stuff. They were not looking for the money. They cared the most about their cows. They had an unusual breed of cattle, um, dairy cattle, and they are hosting the local tech school. Mm. And so they had they were the, the teaching side of that. The dairy students from our local tech school were living at the farm and learning to milk and manage a dairy by working at their, those were the things that were the most important to them. And so that was so good to know because there were things we didn't talk about <laughs> as options because just to say like, what do you, what do you, they're just like, we just want to keep it. We just want to keep it going. You know, that's actually a bigger importance to us than us making a living at it. Yeah. It's like totally changes yeah. the conversation. It does. Yeah. 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 So I, I think sometimes we need to appreciate that, right? It's, 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 it's our job when we're trying to help others to really understand what it is they want, right? And rather bringing our biases in there to, to really drill down and say, what is, what is this person? Want? There's so many of these farms now that are this ecologically focused thing, right? Well, we want, we want soil health. We want good ecology. 
And uh, a, a colleague of mine, David McLean from our, our sister company in Australia, he's uh, he's like, if, if you want to be if you want to be in the green, you got to be in the black. Yeah. <laughs> and and I really appreciate that because yeah. you see a lot of these ones that say, oh, we're just ecology focused. And then you look down into the economics of the thing and it's just bloody red. Right. You know, and, and so at some point you have to say, well, that's not sustainable. If it takes a whole heap of off farm income to keep that thing going, no matter how green it is you know, at some point it will cease to exist because somebody's going to get tired of subsidizing it. So I, I, I can appreciate that. We, I think it, if we want to be green, you got to be in the black at some point. I appreciate, appreciate that too. <laughs> um, actually, my, my graduate research included um, some surveying around that. And it was very interesting that folks chose, they, they define themselves uh, I asked the success question, but I've actually been asked now, but I've, a, I've been a, asking this question for quite a long time because my grad degree actually asked that question too. Who knew? Um, and it was, uh, uh, ended up asking folks about what they, what they felt was like the highest priority. And it was really about ecology and it was really about being good land managers. And then I asked them again, like what, what, that definition of success was. And that's where a lot of that dropped away. And it was like, no financial. <laughs> and it was like, when the, when the rubber reads the road, like we really do want this to work, but we have to be able to keep going. We have to be profitable. Um, even though they define profitability without paying themselves usually, which yeah. is a completely different frustration, but yeah. <laughs> wow. I know. Um, but so I was going to ask you a, a, a different question. I wanted to go back to something you just said, which is um, about this trend of, of entities buying farms and ranches, owning large, large um, tracts of land. We see that on the East as well as, as in the, in the West too. And, 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 and we are, I would say we're definitely seeing it more. There's a lot of investors um, who, who, think that, you know, upper New York state, even Northern Vermont, other, other parts of even the Northeast, which is so much smaller, but we can produce a lot. Um, we're seeing more of that. And I'm wondering like, where do you see the opportunities for folks who are, maybe they don't want to own, like maybe they want to be managers. Where do you see some of those opportunities for folks who are getting yeah. into this? Yeah. I talk about that. I, um, I'm probably a little bit different, my perspective on that than others. Some people talk about, oh, it's tragedy, right? That people are coming in and buying up this land. But, you know, hey, I'm, I'm a capitalist. It's, it's an economic reality, right? Get, get on with it. And, and I think we, we screw up our thinking sometimes when you talk to newer farmers and ranchers. Um, I want a farmer ranch. Okay, what's the first thing? I'm going to go out and buy a farmer ranch. No, please don't, right? That, that could be one of the stupidest things you do. Um, owning land and operating land are two very different economic decisions and, and two very different things, right? Yeah, you, can, you can run a, a thousand cows and not own a single acre of ground, right? They're, they're very different things. Um, you, parking money in real estate can be a great way to build wealth. It can also be a great way to go broke, Right, because it's very capital intensive. So, so I think we need to separate these these two things in our mind. I actually don't necessarily see it's a bad thing that we have people that are wanting to park wealth in real estate um, in in these agriculture lands. Um, for I think it might lead to a higher degree of competence of those that are managing the land. 
Okay. If, if I'm managing land because my grandfather owned it, there, there's no degree of competence test in that, right? I, I simply happen to win the genetic lottery. That's that's why I'm I'm managing it. If I'm managing land that's owned by another entity, there's I would expect them to have some degree of competence that they expect me to meet, right? Uh, so so I think the this separation between the ownership and operation of land might actually lend itself to better land management over time. Okay. Now I might get strung up for suggesting this, right? Because it's not popular to say, uh, you know, that, that these absentee landowners can actually do a better job of running our ranches than the people that have lived here for six generations, right? That's kind of heresy. Uh, but you see a lot of people that have lived here for six generations that are doing a really crappy job at it, right? So there, there might be an opportunity for improvement uh, in, in this. And, uh, and, and really, I just see it as it's a reality. So you can stomp your feet and pout around, but you know, you're going to be left behind. So, um, so, so as your question suggests, I think that really lends itself to huge opportunities to people that are, are competent at managing these wonderfully complex businesses that, that we get to have the opportunity to run in farming and ranching. So um, there, I, you know, and, and the amount of value that a, that a good manager could create is enormous. Uh, I mean, it's not unusual for me to look into a your average family size farmer ranch and find that it's losing somewhere in the neighborhood of two hundred to five hundred thousand dollars of economic loss a year through through operations, right? And and a competent manager could come in and plug that up. So so that means you can kind of name your salary in those things, and you could build a very good life for yourself in, in doing that. Right now, I'm not suggesting that's easy. Um, it, it's you know, it's pretty complicated work. You got to be pretty sharp, and and you got to be willing to make big decisions, right, to to do those kind of things. But uh, uh, but I think there's a, there's a lot of opportunity out there. There's been a model proposed um, in in our area, and I don't know if it's gotten any traction, but there there. Uh, some years ago, uh, I was received a, I, I was part of a group that got a presentation by a, a group of investors that was interested in buying farmland and essentially leasing it back to those farmers. And so, you know, the investors wanted to own the land. Um, the, the idea was that they didn't want to necessarily displace the farmers. And if that shifts from an ownership to a management position, and it was very scary. And there was a lot of, I mean, I get it. Um, I mean, and in, and in this coast, six generations is, I mean, there were like eight and 10, some of them right. here. So it's like, you guys have been doing a little longer than we have. A little bit longer, yeah. Um, so there's more people buried in the edge of the farm in the family cemetery. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of pushback and I just didn't see, I didn't see a lot of, of traction about that. And yet, if you look at a good model and the management is good, then you could you could potentially go from almost like, it feels like magic, probably this is why it was mistrusted, feels like magic to go from someone who's scrabbling, not paying yourself, forcing your spouse to work off farm so you could have health insurance, forcing, you know, like, so you could have money to even cash flow the farm to then becoming a manager who theoretically has retirement, has benefits of various kinds and has a salary, I think that there's like a mistrust that happens there of, well, that just sounds too good to be true. And boy, like, how do we look at that differently to say, wait a minute, 
this could actually be a great opportunity <laughs> to yeah. maybe even live on the same land or maybe even get to manage the same land. Um, yeah. yeah. How do we let that go? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know. know that I, you I don't, don't have, have to figure that out. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to answer that. I'm just like, wow, it's, <laughs> it's like a big question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I think it'll continue to go that way though um you know and and it's it's not all bad again i mean the normal model is well uh you know granddad owns it and so now when when it's his turn to let it go he divides it up to the to the heirs right uh, and and then that actually creates problems as it goes down so being owned in more cohesive entities actually might be a, a better solution long-term for, for land. So it doesn't keep getting so fragmented. Yeah. And I would certainly say that that is just fragmentate. I mean, just economically a huge issue, environmentally fragmentation is just such a huge issue too. And yeah. Um, and it's breaking families against each other, right? Like, yeah. you know, when you break it up, I just think of the, you know, there's a lot of families that, that I know that the parcels have been divided up so much they can't, nobody can make a business of it anymore. And so they're all on five or 10 or 20 or 40 acres or something small. I mean, we're smaller than you guys, but still like, you know, a 40 acre place isn't necessarily something that's going to generate enough to support a family. It just isn't anymore. We, we help a lot of our clients through succession stuff, as, as you know, and, and I really appreciate those people that have the courage to, to, to really ask the questions, okay, what do we want this place to be, right, after the succession of it occurs? And if we want it to be an operating farm or ranch that's supporting a family, then, then what kind of decisions do we need to make in, in our time? To, to help make that happen. And, and often it's, you know, the case of, hey, we're going to, to, to keep it intact and, and here's the way we're going to pass it down and, you know, here, and then communicate that among, uh, among those heirs, uh, because that communication is much better received when, when people are alive and healthy then then it's some great reveal when you're reading the will right and and then if, if it if it's communicated during the great reveal then everybody lawyers up is what happens if if it's communicated while people are, are alive and, and healthy and can say hey the, the, this is the tough decision we've had to make this is the reasons we're making it and you know um, i hope you all can understand that we love you all but this is the decisions that we're making and then it seems to be much better received What's that Elaine phrase term? Uh, a gift with a warm hand and not a cold hand. I just yeah, love that. isn't that great? Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So, so if somebody is getting into this, um, how would you set them up for success? I mean, how would you help them think longer term? Because they're not necessarily granddad in a position where you know we have to decide before the next generation, but they might be granddad in another 20 or 30 years. Like how, how can they, how can they be smart about starting this now? Yeah. So boy, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, so, so we see a lot of first generation uh, farmers and ranchers coming through our program. We get a, we, unfortunately we have quite a few of them in our executive link program that we get to get to work with and, and see those struggles. Um, if, if I were going, you know, and, and, one of the things we've done as a company too is we've kind of tried to 
to reach that younger group of we, we we've started a program uh, called the Young Adult Ranching for Profit, which is 18 to 25 year olds is, is who we're targeting with that. And we've we've actually now expanded that. We're doing three of those a year, uh, two of them in partnership with other organizations and and one on our own. And and that's been an awesome thing to be a part of. So we've got um, oh, you know, 150 or so young adults a year coming through that program that, that's been fabulous. Uh, and then we get a, a handful of those that come to the Ranching for Profit School every year as well. So if, if I were to go and, and sit down with somebody at that stage in life, um, you know, the, so maybe it's post-college, maybe it's post-bouncing around, you know, life in, in other choices than college. I, I certainly don't think university is the only path towards success on these things. Um, what would what kind of advice would I be if they said, I want to be a farmer or rancher, right? That, that's my career path choice. So I think I would first tell them, uh, go and you and I were talking about this a little bit ago, go and, go and work for a bad boss, right? Go, go and spend some time breaking somebody else's machines, um, losing tens of thousands of dollars on their payroll before you're doing it on your own payroll, right? Um, it, and I think that that timing is probably somewhere between, I would say two years at a minimum, and maybe maybe ten years at a maximum, some somewhere in that in that range, right? Because if you do it for much longer than ten years, you're you're probably going to be so dependent on that salary, it's going to be really hard to to step away from that and take take some bold moves. Um, but I think that's important. Go go and like outline what what is my continuing what is a doctor called a residency program, right? What does that farm and ranch residency program look like? Um, who do I want to go work for? Who are some of the people that are you know doing things that I someday want to do in environments that I want to do them and in, in, at scale, right? That that's doing these things large and how do I get in with them? And then it's probably not spending all you know, 10 years with one person, right? It's probably going, but, but you also need, it, it's also not going to work in three months there, right? You you need to go in there and get a whole season or two under your belt and, and see what you can learn from those individuals and then go identify another one and go go work for them for a while, right? And, and really be knowledge seekers. Hopefully you're going to find people that are also willing to invest in your continuing education as, as you're there. So if I were interviewing and things like that, I'd say, well, what kind of things, the people that work here, what kind of continuing education opportunities do they get, right? Do you let us identify a school or two to go to every year? Are we are we bringing people here to the farm to, to lead us through these things? Um, so I, I do that for a time period. And then I would also start building some kind of equity piece for myself at that time. So maybe that's um, I'm buying a, a rental house in town and I'm, I'm managing that, right? And I'm learning to manage cash flows and I'm learning to use debt uh, appropriately. Um, learning to manage myself, I think, is a big piece of that uh, with, with your own uh, expenditures, right? And my, you know, Dave Ramsey has great stuff about, about managing consumer spending. Uh, but that doesn't, I don't think that directly overlaps around running a business, right? There's some, some things you need to do for managing yourself from the consumer spending that are, that are kind of, you can take a different approach when it comes to your business, right? Um, so I, I would encourage people to, to start going that way. And, um, and then at some point, you're going to have to make the, a scary decision about, do I want to be my own, do I want to be my own business leader? Or do I want to continue to be an employee for somebody else? And, and I think sometimes that being your own business leader is, is too often suggested as the path that we all should take, 
right? There's a lot of benefit in being a really competent employee that might be running a, a division or something for, for somebody else that, that sometimes we think, oh, well, that, that's like a second rate thing. No, that might be the, a great thing. I mean, shoot, you know, you can get a lot of benefits there. So I, I think I would encourage people to, to, to go down that path and, and start in, in exploring those things. And, you know, you, you're, it, it's a great learning opportunity to lose $50,000 on something stupid, right? So I would hope everybody has the opportunity to make some of those kind of mistakes when they're in their 20s, right? 20s or 30s. And then they could come back and say, wow, I really learned some lessons from that. And here's what I'm going to do to, to adjust that. So <laughs> that's true. It's a, how would you adjust that to the, for the second? I just think of the people who, call, who, who called me in my you know, extension life. And a bunch of them were like in their 40s and 50s at that point. Like, how would you, how would you adjust your advice or would you adjust your advice? Maybe they still have the same things to learn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you know, so now, now you're kind of talking about our, our core clients really, um, you know, so, so ranching for profit, just so you can kind of get an idea of the people that we work with, I would say our, our core client is that uh, third, fourth, fifth generation person who is just now starting to assume some significant management authority in their family business, right? So, so maybe they're, um, unfortunately in farming and ranching that often happens later in life than it, than it should in reality, right? Sometimes you're 40 or 50 and now you're just getting some management authority in your business, right? It, it would be better if that were happening late 20s, early 30s. Now, I wouldn't say they throw the keys and say, it's all yours, see you later, right? But I would also say that in the perfect world, they'd say, this is your piece. This is your division of the farm and ranch, right? And, and, and here's the things we're going to hold you responsible. These are the targets you're going to have to hit. Um, so, so a lot of our clients, though, are or in that stage in life where they're 40s, um, 30s, 40s, and sometimes even 50s, and, and are now just kind of getting their hands around this, this monster that's the family farmer ranch that has been doing all these things with all these assets for so long, and now we're, we're trying to transition it. Um, so uh, that, that, that's kind of our core client as to who we help. And, and, you know, generally we don't tell them, we'll go out and get a job working for somebody else for five years and come home, <laughs> right? Uh, that's not, the, it's, it, then it's much more of uh, this interesting dynamic of leadership in the, in the business, right? About learning what, what are the pieces that I have autonomy to make decisions on, um, searching through the mission and vision building process, which I know you've done a lot to help families do that as well, uh, and, and then start examining what are the alternatives in front of us, and, and we can start building roadmaps for, for, for making those changes. So where are... Hmm. Wait a second. I may end up editing this because I had a specific way to ask this question I'd like to ask it. I can remember that. Um, so what are some of the uni universalities that you see across all the people who are coming through? You know, whether they're first gen, whether they're multi-gen, like what are some of the things that you just feel like everybody is asking about that everybody needs to know and everybody can work on? Yeah. That's a good question. That, so the thing that's probably coming to mind the most is 
most of us get into farming or ranching because we like the the physical work. We like doing it, right? Um, we're we've been taught to be frugal. We've been taught to figure it out ourselves. To you know, if something's broke, you're not your first thing is going to reach to the phone to call a repairman, right? It's going to be to get out there and start taking it apart and figure out how how the heck you can fix it. So so that's what's led that's been successful in our lives. But in leading a business, right, that approach needs to change. And, and we need to learn to separate the, the, the busyness and, and the, you know, in school, we call it the Whitby, the working in the business, right? And that, that's what we're always tempted to do is to, is to just go out there and work harder, right? Fix it with physical grit and determination to, to what be uh, working on the business, and, and to develop the self-discipline to work, to learn how to work on the things in our businesses that are really good at creating significant value, that are good at moving the needle in our lives and, and in the long term, rather than just to continue to focus on the, on the day-to-day minutiae. Right. Uh, there, there's always going to be more work to be done. Right? There's always going to be something else that's broke and something else that needs your attention uh, from a Whitby standpoint. But if you really want to learn to be a business leader and to, and to move the needle in your life and in your business, you need to learn to manage that noise and, and to create some separation about, okay, I'm going to have the discipline to, to, to do these things that are the high value, important tasks before I let the, um, the urgency take over. Right. The, um, so I think that's probably one of the commonalities is, is developing that skill set, that self-discipline uh, to be able to, to do that. And, you know, it, it, we, we don't do it because we're, we're stupid or lazy, right? I mean, people that work in this business are really, really smart and they're, they're the hardest working people we know. We do it, we fall into that trap because that's often been our path to success is through determination and through hard work, we're going to endure, right? And, and get through that. And so it's almost like, telling you that everything that's worked for you up until now, right. You got to change that path. Uh, but, um, but, but that's a, that's a critical juncture, you know, cause you look around at the people that are, are at least as I look at my neighbors who I, who I love dearly, you know, their businesses are failing and they're requiring more work, right. And more physical, uh, these things in there, you know, and some of these folks are getting into a stage of life where they just don't have that to put into it anymore. And so it's, it's not a path to success. So we've, we've got to learn to, to, to create that balance. How do you create balance in, in your life? I've got it all figured out. I'm perfect at it. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm nothing if not a work in progress on this, right? Um, yeah. Like, it's, not to point fingers. I, I yeah. definitely am not trying to do that. Um, but... <laughs> At all. Um, and I, I will certainly say like th- this, this, this conversation has absolutely influenced me. I've hired in some people. I've hired, hired in an assistant last month um, to work on a few things. I'm hiring another person. Um, some things, you know, like it's so easy to fall back in those patterns though. It's so easy to say, you know, it's great that I hired this person, but I could still do this thing better than they can. Mm, yep. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm working on that. Um, yeah. Like, how do you work it? How do you do that too? Like, how do you, you've been, you've been practicing it longer than I have. So So I would like to think you have it figured out a little bit more than I do. So appreciate it. No, I, I'm, I'm learning every day. Um, 
I've, I've made, I, I've, I've hired a professional advisory board uh, that, that sit down and look at my business every year and, and they give me strategic level advice on things that, um, you know, that they see that are places where I'm, I'm missing opportunities. Um, I, I've made some, some big strategic moves in this last year that, that are scary for me uh, that I think are going to um, help me create, make this business more, um, so, something that I could see myself still enjoying in a few years. Um, you know, the first few, the first year, year or two I was doing this, right. It was all about just head down, butt up and run like hell, right. And figure it out along the way. And, and, and that's okay when you're starting something new, but when you're a few years into it and you, you know, you're feeling your energy level, uh, really start to fall off, then, then you need to make some changes. And that, that's where I was. So um, we're, we're looking at some, at some major strategic shifts in the business to, to help adjust that. Um, one of the things that's been useful for me is, so, so the seductive part of the business, I love dreaming up things and we could do this and we could do this and we could, we could try this over here. Right. And, and at the end of the day, I have to come back and look at my business and say, what's really driving the bus here, right? What's, what's turning the economic engine, the, the good to great book has been a big influencer on me, right? The, 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 what's my head talk, right? What's those things that are creating economic value, something that we're the best at, uh, something that our passions align with. And, and for us, that's the school. Right, the, the school is the thing that that keeps our company moving. That that's what spins our flywheel. And so, if I'm over here getting distracted on creating this and then adding this gizmo and gadget to it and and putting this whirly gig on, right? I need somebody to slap me and say, it, it, "Dave Dave Pratt has a saying. He said, Dallas, it's the school dummy. It's the school dummy, right? And so he'll he'll tell me that when I need to hear it." And uh, that's really useful advice. So, so that's been something that, that to me is, has helped me stay focused and, and grounded is, um, you know, reminding myself, okay, what are the things in my business that I really need to get right? Um, I think, I, you know, we, we do a lot of continuing education um, of whether it's reading and discussing those things and, you know, surrounding myself with people that, that I feel are challenging me. Um, those, those are some of the things that, that I try to do to, to keep on that and, uh, but uh, I'm I'm a I'm a work in progress, and I often look at the things that I'm screwing up and think, you know, I gosh, how could I miss that? How could I not got that right? You know, um, but uh, I'm loving it. I'm I'm having a blast doing it. And sure, there's times of the year where you know we feel like we're going too hard, and I'm I'm sacrificing things on the family front. Uh, but then there's times of the year when it swings the other way, right? And and this gives me a lot of freedom. So, do you guys ever take vacation? Oh yeah, we we do quite a bit. Yeah, um, yeah. This is a good month for us. We usually always try to go away for at least a week with the with the family in March. In fact, I had to renege on an obligation to you to make that happen this last year. So, <laughs> so yeah. I think that is very healthy that you lead by example that way because <laughs> that, I feel I have a personal mission to encourage more farmers and ranchers to take vacation, yeah. which is also speaking to me because I'm not so good at doing that either. So yeah, 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 yeah. we should all take more vacations. I don't, I don't know if you caught that discussion on the executive link Facebook page of mm -hmm. somebody asked those of you that have been in EL for, for three years or longer, what's the most significant change in your business? And it was some time ago. And the most common answer was we now take vacations. Oh, I love that. Yeah. 
I totally love that. Uh, I, w- I was hoping for like, oh, we've made another half million dollars every year, right? But, <laughs> but you know, I wonder what's more important, actually. So uh, to, to have family time away from the business. Yeah. So I think one of the things, so I love economics and my, my grad degree is an applied economics degree. Uh, but I have to say that, that of, of the, of the triangle, it's, it's the, it's the people that have just, I didn't start there. Like I didn't like people. That's why I wanted to be a veterinary veterinarian at one point, because I liked animals a whole lot more than people, which is super funny now. Um, but I've just, I feel like I've seen too many good farms go down the hole because there's a divorce or just, or, or they can't make that multi-generational transition because they literally don't talk to each other. Or they can't talk to each other. And I'm just like, it's like the people, the people are, are the people are the thing. So that's why, maybe that's why like vacation is that indicator for me personally of like, if people are taking time to get away and actually talk to each other or at least sit companionably near each other. <laughs> Even if they're not talking, they're sleeping, they're doing whatever, they're laying at, laying at a beach or maybe they're going hunting. I don't know what they're doing, but like if they're just getting away, then they're going to come back as whole people in some way. And I just super motivated by that. I just don't see enough people doing it. Recreation and, and maybe even re-saying that as recreation. Yes. Right? And, and something yes. away from the farm or the ranch that that makes you feel made whole again right yes and it, it does i mean the, the sitting on the beach and going on a vacation or getting on a cruise ship right or all those things that that's not right for everybody but what's the thing that that helps make helps recreate you and recharge you um, we all need that you know this is the time of year when we're a bit slower and and i can feel myself getting recharged and you know, when we get back to that school season, I'm excited for those schools to start again, right? I'm, I'm ready to go, you know, and that's, we, we all need that. Everybody needs that. Yeah, we do. We totally do. Man, so we've sort of wound up our time. Can I ask you just one last question? Sure. What did I miss? <laughs> what would you like people to know that, that I haven't yeah. asked you about? Yeah, I, you know, I feel like we've talked around a lot of things in kind of the high level uh, you know, way, but I, I would um, understand that your audience is a lot of people that are first generation farmers and ranchers that are coming to this, um, you know, it, I, I would love to get in front of them and, and just, you know, give them a nudge that they, there's, there's more to it than this, than the Pollyanna piece of, you know, I, I want to farm and ranch and I want to be outside working with animals and working with my hands right? And you can do that very well working for somebody else, right? If you want to own your own business and run your own deal, that uh, I really want to encourage them to develop those, those leadership skills in themselves to, to attract others that want to be part of it, uh, to be able to, to sit down and, and look at the numbers uh, of it, you know, and, and how do we put together economic projections to understand what are the What's the cost structure of this business going to look like? How do we evaluate capital purchases? You know, to say is is this a right decision? Should I should I use leverage on here? What's my risk assessment on these things? That's the piece that I see is those are the pieces that I see that are missing a lot from the people that you know when they're dreaming about becoming a farmer rancher and they see themselves you know outside working with their animals on an everyday basis. Um, 
there needs to be a lot more to it than, than that piece. So what are you going to do to develop the, the skills in yourself to be the leader your business needs, um, you know, to develop those, what are the positions that the place is going to look like? How do I attract and retain talent? Um, you know, how do I build systems in my business to, to create dependable results? Um, you know, and, and then looking at things like scale and, you know, how many, what, what kind of turnover do we need in this business? How much throughput of it? Right. And, and what what degree of diversity can we withstand and not have so much complication? Right. That's what I see that, that a lot of the back to the land folks are doing is they create these enormously diverse businesses where there's so much going on in them, but nothing's happening at scale. Right. And then from a complication standpoint, my gosh, I, mean, I can't even sit down and, and pull apart this business because it's so intertwined and complicated with all these different moving pieces. Right. For for most successful businesses, they're going to do two things, two, maybe three things. Well, right there, you, you generally don't find many successful businesses that do 15 things. Well, right. You know, so let, let's figure out what is it that you're going to do that, that you're going to do well and at scale that, that really turns the crank for that. So. Um, so anyway, just just some words of advice for people that are looking to get into this thing. It's a. Uh, you know, you really got to enter into it with that and with, the, with those pieces in mind and be intentional about developing your skill set ar- around those pieces. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, one of the things that I it just totally prompted me in this conversation, just got me really thinking about it was, um, you know, some of these perspectives um, like capitalism and you know, I mean, Dallas says I'm a capitalist and like owning land and those expectations that we have to own land. Some of these like perspectives are rooted in really old expectations, like sort of uh, older generation, previous generations, not just, you know, our parents, but but back multiple generations. And and times are changing now. And it might it might cause some discomfort, you know, whether you're liberal, whether you're conservative, whether you're east, whether you're west. Um some of these things that that uh, Dallas is talking about and, and ways that we've seen farmers be successful and ranchers, they it's it's shaking up some of these preconceived notions that we've been operating under in agriculture. And I love seeing these concepts getting mixed up into something new, um, you know, to better fit the opportunities, the moments we're living in now. Um, I particularly like, you know, maybe it's because Dallas and I are, are not that far apart in age. Um, but I think that that he has this um, perspective of a person who is sort of a middle-ish generation person where he is highly energized by the younger people that he works with. And there are many lessons to be learned and pulled from the older generation. And I think there's something really interesting um, and important with uh, working with folks that are sort of middle-ish generation because we have the ability to mix and match some of the things um, to meet the times we're in today. So, and just the ability to find value in both younger people and older people, I think that that is just absolutely huge too. So what do you think about that? If you have any thoughts or comments, and I love it, I hope you do, send them on, send them along through the choosing.com 
choosingtofarm.com website, um, or you can email me directly uh, at choosingtofarm at gmail.com. Listeners have also been sending along ideas for new folks to interview, which I love. I'm trying to get a whole group up um, ahead before we get too busy this summer. Um, Please do keep sending those along. And if if you are a listener and would like to share some of your story and experiences, please also reach out to me. Um, Self-nominations are totally invited. Uh, Anyway, so thank you all so much. If you think that there's someone else uh, out there in your life who would enjoy listening to this podcast, please forward it to them. Um, I would appreciate that, and so would they. Hope you have a great day. Thank you so much for supporting the show, and I will let Chris Sargent play us out with a little bit of rocking guitar. Have a great day, guys.